2: Hey everyone, this is John Roca from
0: Collider. By now you've likely heard about Disney Plus, the new streaming service that includes Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. With all of these amazing brands in one place, Disney Plus is one of the most incredible libraries in the entire streaming landscape, and it's all ad-free. From beloved classics like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, to today's blockbusters like Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame to critically acclaimed documentaries like National Geographic's Free Solo. The content on Disney Plus is truly unparalleled. Disney- Disney Plus also offers some of the most beloved TV shows of all time, including 30 seasons of the Emmy award-winning animated series, The Simpsons. And if that weren't enough, Disney Plus has also rolled out a host of originals like The Mandalorian, the first ever Star Wars live action series, and high school musical, The Musical, The Series, a very meta take on the beloved film franchise. It's no wonder Disney Plus has become one of the most talked about streaming services of 2019. So don't miss out. Sign up for Disney Plus now and start streaming all this great content today.
3: On today's show, we're digging into Haley's Birds of Prey set visit report. On top of that, news broke that Jonathan Groff is going to star in The Matrix 4. And we've also got the new title for The Conjuring 3. We are going to tell it to you and what it means. Hello everyone and welcome to this Heroes and Villains sponsored edition of Collider Movie Talk. I am so happy to share the table with Simon Thompson and Matt Donato. I feel like you guys both dressed in a very special way today. We have Marty McFly and we have the king of graphic tees on the set. Yeah. <laughs> I'm,
4: I'm kind of like Marty McFly if he made really bad life choices and had I... terrible eyesight.
3: Give yourself some credit.
5: That's best credit. I know you myself. ended up here with us.
4: That I is know.
3: a bad
5: life
4: choice.
3: My <laughs> So, Matt, as the king of graphic tees, yeah. I do have to tell you about heroes and villains. So that campaign that we're still running where you can use the code TALK10 and get 10% off your order at checkout up and running. But the other cool thing that they're doing right now is they're doing a special countdown to the release of The Rise of Skywalker. So what's going to happen is every single day leading up to the movie's release, there's going to be another deal today for example example. example, certain items are on sale for $10. The thing is, Talk 10 still works. You could take advantage of those deals and then put the Talk 10 code on top of it. And Matt, I think you're going to like a lot of their graphic tees over there.
5: I'm going to look immediately after the show because I wasn't even aware of the website. So this is is great news for (laughs) me.
3: Heroesvillains.com. I've got this cool Warriors of Mandalore jacket on right now. I'm absolutely freezing in L.A., so there's a good chance this might be the only thing I wear the rest of the week just (laughs) because I'm so cold and this is so comfortable. But, yeah, the Warriors of Mandalore uh, line is one of their newer ones, and uh, I am a fan. Alright.
4: Well, if only there was a major holiday around the corner where you needed to buy gifts for everybody that you love. Um,
3: yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, like in daytime. I think time. We, we've all kind That's of put amazing. it out on the table that everybody sitting here right now is very behind. <laughs> I, so nice. I am just fritzing a little yeah. bit because of that right now. All right, let's get into this first story here. Haley was lucky enough to visit the set of Birds of Prey, and she ran a whole bunch of stories. And this isn't even all of her content, but she ran a whole bunch of breakout stories. And we're going to try to get to as many of them as possible right now. And one of the first ones she posted has a little something to do with the timeline. Of the movie, so here is what she wrote in the article. Uh, Kathy Ann, when she was asked if there was a specific amount of time that passed since Suicide Squad, Yan replied, there is not any known amount of time. No, it kind of exists in a parallel timeline. The full quote is, with Suicide Squad, she's so connected to the Joker. I mean, their story is so intertwined. It really is their love story, if you will, but this is not. And so I think that gave us a lot of opportunity to say, like, what is she like? Not necessarily post-Joker, but just in almost like a parallel universe and allowed all of us the freedom to say like we're going to create a different Gotham. So, the keyword I'm or the keywords I'm focusing on right now are parallel universe and parallel timeline. I'm d- does she mean like legitimately a, a parallel concurrent timeline or are we interpreting this in a different way? Well,
4: I, I've got my thoughts on this. You you kind of know this deeper, so
5: I am mean, I wouldn't say I know this deeper, but my thoughts when you say parallel, you're creating different capabilities to have different actors playing different characters. So immediately we know we have Jared Leto's Joker which is very much in Harley Quinn's world that we have, Margot Robbie's har- uh, Harley Quinn. We also have Joaquin Phoenix's Joker that is out in left field right now and we don't know what's going to happen with it and there are ideas for sequels of this nature. So right now with what you're saying is we have the pop funky Harley Quinn world where Jared Leto's Joker w- works and we also have the Robert Pattinson Bat world, uh, Batman world, world. we'll go with I guess for now. The we'll have that going on where they don't seem like they're ever going to come together but they can both coexist in the dcu so that's where i take that see this is my
4: take on it with a parallel uh, parallel storylines it's kind of like so suicide squad and harley quinn and all of that stuff that we see at the moment is already one thing it's like her taking time out. So these stories that we're seeing from Birds of Prey are happening within the same universe, completely separate to Joker, Batman, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. But it's like she's like, okay, well, this is also going on at the same time as we saw Suicide Squad, and we'll see any movies in the future. So a slightly different take on what that parallel means.
3: I don't necessarily take it as you know a literal use of the term. I just think it it more so applies to creative freedom and just not being tied down to anything that came before or or even much that's uh, that's coming after it, for that matter. I think they just said, you know, make a great standalone movie and leave it at that, and that's it.
4: Creatively covering their butts, effectively, or <laughs> well, yeah,
3: yeah. It, it, no, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I feel like by just making one good movie. So it's it's almost like we were running with the mentality of, you know, plan an entire franchise, plan a cinematic universe, and give yourself all the opportunities when in reality it works the other way. Make yeah. yourself one good movie, and then you get all the good opportunities, whereas, you know, other companies end up with a dark universe where you plan all this stuff, and then offices get shut up, and that's not going to happen here. And one of the other things I think this ties into quite well is this idea that, So, Screen Rant had this particular quote up and running. Something about it not necessarily being a team-up movie. I want to break down what they wrote here, though, because it's a a little uh, complicated. So... Apparently Yan said it, this was something that I gravitated to when I read the script and she reiterated that Birds of Prey isn't the Harley Quinn movie. According to Yan, it's truly an ensemble film. It's not even a team. You see them as a team right now, but we really spend time with each of these women and they are very much the protagonist in the film. So why I compare the two with creative possibilities is it sounds to me like they're not leaning on the idea of, oh, cool, like team up time, but they're going to actually spend the time to flesh out each and every one of these characters Mm. which you know then could if the movie is a hit pave the way to individual movies or team up movies with different characters for all we know
4: and also i think you know it's a case of you know eggs in baskets really with these i obviously suicide squad when we had that there are a lot of great characters in there that's debatable, of course.
5: Captain it's Boomerang. Captain Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Rob, back. Amazing Jai was available.
4: Um, but yes, yeah, so basically they've got all these characters, and you never know which ones are going to land. We know the Harley Quinn's already really popular, right? Mm. There might be another couple of characters in there as well. So I think it is a very wise decision to go, okay, well, let's develop all of these, what, six characters. Let's develop them, really give them a backstory, really give them a, draw them out really effectively. The downside of that is the fact that if some of them don't have those strong enough stories and they don't draw them well, then that's where the weaknesses between them. We saw this with Suicide Squad really kind of comes to the fore. So it, it, it's, it's a risky strategy in an element, mm-hmm. but I think long-term it can play off because you never know which ones are going to land particularly well. Sometimes we're surprised.
3: Well, I mean... Uh, everyone out there knows i love bringing up power rangers and i think they took them <laughs> but i do think they took yeah. a very similar approach to that where they tried to take the time to give each one of those characters their own backstory and just their own motivation to being a power ranger and how they operate and you know that kind of situation where it's stronger for one character or weaker for another it doesn't necessarily uh come as a detriment to the movie overall but it just made people walk away with certain favorites rather than yeah. other characters that didn't have that same kind of meaty backstory well- which is- not
5: really a bad thing. And I was going to say, if you go back to Suicide Squad too, and I agree, you know, they're trying to do a lot with a lot of characters and flesh out those stories. Birds of Prey is a little more focused. We have less of a, I know it's not a team-up movie, but it's still less of a main team that they have to worry about. Mm. So it's still a gamble. I think it's a more pared-down gamble. But in the sense, though, that like, I love the way Margot Robbie's approaching this whole thing because not only is she acting, she's also producing. She also came to the studio with a story. She's super passionate about her Harley Quinn and she's super passionate about this world and her girl gang. So I think that's the one thing that a lot of these other movies didn't have going for it. Like this driving force behind the character. Not only that, but like the person playing this character and having input in all these other aspects. So I think that's the one thing that uh, Birds of Prey has going for it is Margot Robbie here. Oh,
3: absolutely. I mean, I I applaud any actor out there who tries to take control of his or her career and kind of use the name value that they've achieved on their own to then produce properties that maybe wouldn't have gotten made otherwise. But I want to throw one other quote into this whole ensemble conversation we're having right now. So I believe this is a, yes, a Margot Robbie quote. Harley is the narrator of the story, a very unreliable, erratic narrator, which is fun, but it also gives, I think, the audience an opportunity to kind of be inside her brain sometimes. Times and see the world through her eyes at times how does this uh kind of tie into the idea of this being not necessarily a team-up movie but an ensemble movie where all these characters are fleshed out from harley's perspective you see the the disconnect that i'm finding there yeah okay so i'm, I'm just wondering do you guys have any ideas how those two things are going to work together i
5: mean uh,
4: you, you, i was gonna, you, gonna say it's gonna miss. be more
5: comedic it's gonna be more trippy out there hallucinogenic maybe <laughs> a little bit because we already have in the poster we have her stuffed beaver I think the name is Bucky and it's gonna get weird just from that aspect because like I put that picture up and I was like what is going on with this beaver in a tutu with a necklace on and someone immediately is like oh that's her stuffed beaver she talks to and I was like Oh, okay, so this is really going to be one of those movies. And yeah. I'm fine with that, given the DCU at this point.
3: I'm all on board with th- with the Harley perspective in that respect, as it pertains to her character. But what I'm wondering a little more so is how is this movie, being told from her perspective, going to change how these other characters are developed, especially if she's an unreliable narrator and they're stressing the fact that each one of these are going to be their own fleshed out protagonist.
4: Well, we all know that Quinn's reality is not necessarily reality. I mean, she certainly is a very kooky and off-the-wall character. So we could see it, I mean, this is total speculation, but we could see it from two POVs. We could see the story told from uh harley's uh, uh p o v so how she sees these characters working within the ensemble working within the storyline, and then also the reality of how these characters either see themselves or the reality of that group, which can be quite fun if you're playing around with that kind of psychedelic what is the real timeline and what isn't gives you a little bit more room to be creative I okay. think that's
5: that's what's going to happen you're going to yeah. get these funny scenes where it's from harley's perspective and she's looking at one like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and seeing one thing, and then you come from behind Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And it's Looks a completely, completely different, different version, yeah. Exactly. yeah. It's There's darker and not as poppy. great yeah. design
3: opportunities in yeah. that too, just in a way of like very quickly selling what perspective you're coming at it from. So there could be some very fun visual choices there.
4: And also then if you decide to do, do something to follow up, you have two possible narratives to work from in the future, whichever one really resonates with the audience, you know, whether it's the reality or Harlequin's version. Mm-hmm. And you can give that the, the more weight in the follow-up movie and in, and in other movies you choose to introduce these characters into. So it's a clever move.
3: You get gave me a perfect uh, tee up for the next me? quote here because we also want to talk a little bit about Batgirl, who is not involved in this movie. But, mm. of course, DC has revealed that they are developing something. I don't know the current status. Oh, actually, I do know the current status is that obviously Joss Whedon was on and then he stepped off. And right now they have Birds of Prey screenwriter Christina Hodson uh, taking over on scripting duties on that one. But as far as Batgirl not being in Birds of Prey, producer Sue Kroll had said, you'll not see Batgirl just going to say no. No, why not this is a studio question that character's in development on her own film right so are when do you guys think we are actually going to see Batgirl is it a smart idea to have not incorporated her in this movie
4: personally I think yes uh, because I think what, what could potentially have happened is when it's such an ensemble piece as it is and you have so many characters and a lot of these superhero movies, whether it's DC or Marvel, can sometimes overstuff and then you underuse characters. And it could have become a movie between Harley Quinn and Batgirl. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been to the detriment of other characters in the movie. Also, if you know you've got something really strong for Batgirl, why not save that later? Don't give audiences who certainly are not shy with coming forward with opinions and killing things off early or raising them up... If they don't like Batgirl, if you're not ready to pull Batgirl out yet, make sure you've got it right. Don't give audiences the chance to tear her down, potentially. Don't waste her save for something else.
3: It also feels like this group came together very organically based yeah. on their other quotes as far as assembling them. I know there's a quote about how Huntress kind of inspired the whole mm-hmm. idea but it just sounds like they chose characters to flesh out the overall narrative best yeah. rather than saying that person would be cool and that person would be cool so let's smush them together in a movie. Yeah
5: and I mean like Batgirl's part of the larger tentpole stuff with Batman and that whole world so with Birds of Prey it's kind of a smaller offshoot at this point point. and if yeah if you do have Batgirl in there there's no reason because she's going to take the focus it automatically becomes about Batgirl where even looking back to Suicide Squad you know one of the scenes that everyone kind of talks about most is Joker and Batman and it's like Batman's in Suicide Squad for one single scene yet he's still talked about so much from the film so yeah no I like this idea of like this is Harley Quinn and her gang's movie there's no reason to have any other outside distractions from a larger force let them play in their world. Let them have their fun. Because if it works, like you guys said, that's now a new universe in the DCU. It's just an offshoot that can go into this crazy comic book world, cartoonish, all that stuff. Mm. Let that girl be in again, Robert Pattinson's world and play in the more detective aspects. I kind of it.
3: like the idea though, that we don't even know. And like, obviously the term DCEU doesn't really even apply anymore, but I yeah. love the fact that we have uh, like a DC film franchise with, with no rules and no definition. It, it's 10 times more exciting to me and as such like a neat organized person who really does appreciate like the specifics of a canon i'm surprised how much i'm taking to this right now
4: i think also dc have learned or dcu have learned a lot from the fact that you know with with wonder woman uh when it was batman versus superman yes they had her in it but i still think she was massively underserved even though she landed with audiences and it was really when wonder woman got to stand on her own and have her first movie and obviously now the sequel which everybody was sort of you know losing their minds over this week because it looks so strong i think they've learned it's like maybe we don't need to put all the eggs in that character basket. Maybe we give these characters and there's a lot in there already a bit more room to breathe and maybe save that character for that separate movie. I think they've learned the lesson
5: the DCU wasn't doing what the MCU is doing so well. I mean the MCU has created this collaborative universe that all works Mm. together and two A point has become a little predictable, and I don't mean that in a bad way even. I'm not saying that's a negative aspect, but we know what we're going to get from the MCU, and that's just Mm -hmm. fine. The DCU tried to do that. They failed miserably, (laughs) but now that gives them the opportunity to kind of do their own thing like you're saying. Now they can take these gambles because it's like, all right, well, that didn't work, so let's just go off the wall and see what happens now. And audiences, I think, are more open to that than they were perhaps
4: five years ago or ten years ago. I think they are more open to that kind of idea of being a bit more off the wall and mixing it up. And the studios and both studios, whether you're looking at Marvel or whether you're looking at at DCU at at Warner Brothers, I think they're getting a bit more confident when they're seeing that reliance of the audience and that, that faith of the audience. Well,
3: I do think we as moviegoers evolve right along with franchises, with studios, and all of that. And I don't know, we're kind of, if you're a superhero fan, if you're a comic book fan, I feel like we're in such a great spot right now where, you know, know marvel's got their thing going strong as ever but now dc is kind of coming into focus and Mm. in a way that offers such different possibilities so there's room for everything and everything can be unique
4: but also let's not forget we also talk about you know how you know fans of these movies and fans of comic books there is a world outside of this people who put bums on seats who don't care that much about the inner workings of the comic world they just want to go and see a good movie and that's probably more than the hardcore geekdom that we're all part of and certainly working in the industry. And I think we mustn't forget that there's people out there who look at these movies in a very different way, and how they consume these movies and they enjoy the movies are on a completely different level to to how we look at them.
3: So wait, before we move on to our next topic, just briefly, what do you guys think of Birds of Prey's outlook at this point? Because it seems like they've only done the right things with the marketing campaign thus far, and I just envision it being kind of runaway hit in February.
5: They're doing all the right things. They're saying all the right things. They're hooking me in the right ways from what I've seen so far. But that has also kind of failed itself, where it's like, okay, all these things are going too right now what happens but i'm in on it i'm in on birds of prey i want it to be a huge success because i'm loving all the visuals that i'm seeing i'm loving how crazy it's getting and i know it doesn't follow the birds of prey comic books and like i've been following the live chat and obviously i'm not as big into the comic books so you guys know way more than me and i'm already seeing like you know but um certain characters are in birds of prey and like this isn't harley's girl girl gang stuff Mm -hmm. like that this is their way of doing birds of prey this is how they're going to start it and it all has to start somewhere so i like how they're starting small
4: well, I don't know, Perry. There's a lot of women in this. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> <And> Simon has <laughs> there's to a be lot of women Simon in this. That like, can only be a bad thing. And that's I'm, I'm, when Simon I'm, I'm got kidding. Canceled. Of course, I am kidding. Um,
3: I didn't expect that.
4: No, <laughs> I'm sure someone will say it online somewhere. Yeah, women. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I think the way they're playing this right now is really good. They've mm. given the teas. It's not being shoved down our throats when there's so much content out there, especially for next year. I, I think Warner has learned lessons from several movies over the last couple of years in the universe. I think they're playing this absolutely right. I think they're pitching right. And I'll be honest with you, I think they're pitching it broadly. And I think that is something that's really going to make it a huge success. Mm -hmm. They're not doing the, it's women, so aim it at women. It's really a very open um, uh, campaign right now. And I think that is also you know, really good.
3: So far, so good with this. I'm I'm betting on it for sure. All right, we're going to move on to our next story, which happens to be a Collider exclusive from our own Jeff Snyder, because apparently Jonathan Groff has signed on to join the cast of The Matrix 4. The nature of his role is being kept under wraps, but he joins a whole bunch of cool people like Keanu Reeves, Carrie-Anne Moss from the original films. We have Yaya Abdul-Mateen II joining as a character that's described as a lead in the movie. So first thing I want to ask you guys is Just overall, given the fact that we've had a significant amount of people added to this cast, what do you make of the ensemble thus far?
4: Um, I'll be honest with you. The one thing I like about it is the fact that they're bringing in a lot of people who are proven talent um, that have that they're known but they're not so known that they're bringing a brand and I think that, that when a lot of studios they either continue a franchise or they reboot a franchise they always go for big names mm-hmm. you know sort of real tentpole names that are going to be- bring you in and I like the fact that with with this it's almost like a softly softly approach they're bringing in people who've proved their metal in the industry as talent in various different ways in various different types of movies and they're going along that tack so I like the fact that all of these people that have been cast so far, uh, so far, have a bit of bit of heritage, a bit of background, but it's not, it's not like set. You know what you're going to get. It does leave that sort of little room for those. Huh? Ah, this is curious, mm-hmm. and that pays dividends right now in the market. Well, and I
5: think going off of that, too, I think they're thinking about the future as well, because obviously, you know, you, you have Keanu Reeves and Carrie Moss, and they'll be a part in this. Some, you know, I read somewhere that um, young Morpheus could be um, Abdul's character. Oh, yeah. And sure, A rumor that is
3: yet to right. be confirmed. Right, that is a
5: total rumor, and something I don't put Poor any rumor, mind though. into. Um, just like the rumor that, you know, Jonathan Groff is going to play an agent, because he plays an agent in Mindhunter. It's just an easy he, fix. He, but looks, like,
3: he looks the part, you can't right, Exactly. Help it. he looks
5: the part, you can't help it. I get that. But I think they're thinking about the future. They're bringing, like you said, these talents that have not... They are big names, but they haven't ascended yet to that point where they're like totally household, so they're hoping that they're going to get that with this Matrix film. They're going to be able to build the groundwork, and then all of a sudden it's like, now we have five, now we have six, and we have these characters that can propel that. Because we look now back at Matrix when when the first Matrix movie came out, I mean,
4: yeah, I'm, I'm that old, um, but it, I remember when it came out, and the thing is that Keanu was the star. Keanu was really well-known. Lawrence Fishburne was kind of well-known. Everybody else was pretty much an unknown quality, quantity, and I think we're seeing that really, again, we're building a cast that not only has the potential to go into a number of films but they will also be around in 10 to 15 years potentially and they're getting them in on the ground floor mm. to become the next Keanu's or the next whatevers and I think that's a really shrewd idea as well. Yeah,
3: it's working for me as someone, I was telling you guys a little before I don't not like the Matrix, Matrix but it's not my favourite franchise out there when they announced another one, you know, I'm like cool, let's see what you could do with it I know that that idea has mm. more potential but I'm not really like super hyped about it the casting right now is changing my tune a little and it's like it's creating a little more urgency for me to go back and rewatch everything and really get primed for this next one because yeah. you know when you add someone like Jonathan Groff to a cast I, he is incredible i mean mindhunter is something else and i'm trying very hard not to just copy and paste his role in mindhunter into something like this because i am so fascinated by his performance in that series but you know, I, I just think that everything he's delivered in his career thus far speaks to his range as an actor. But and do we
5: know if he's playing a leading role? I, that, that's actually a question. Like, Because he could be in this movie for 10 minutes. I mean, that's the other <laughs> thing, too. Casting just means they've been cast in so some I wouldn't way. So I not
3: necessarily—I don't want to get ahead of myself, and we obviously don't know any official right. details. I'm assuming they didn't cast him in this for 10—I te- was just rewatching Joker, and I remember freaking out about Brian Tyree Henry being in that movie, and even Zazie Beetz, for that matter. And, you yeah. know, their screen time is limited. I don't expect the same thing to happen with anyone who has been announced thus far as far as new folks joining Matrix with like the same thing that happened in something like the Joker.
5: Also, someone did just say in the chat, are the Wachowskis coming back to direct, though? And we have we have Lana Wachowski coming back to direct and also co-write. So we also have returning uh, creators. That gives me a little more there to believe in, too, as well. So I'm in on it. Maybe Jonathan Groff could uh, could play a dial up modem. You know, we all
4: remember those from the 90s. <laughs> oh, doing the sound. The His entire the dialogue could be the sound. Wha- <laughs> when no one can use a phone while they're connecting to the internet Yet
3: again another comment from Simon that just, I just did not, did not expect see it I didn't expect at all Didn't see nor we needed <laughs>
4: It's why my career in Hollywood has been quite curtailed because of ideas like this
3: Do so you guys happen to know oh it's Warner Brothers behind this but yeah. um, you know I mean Warner Brothers have an... has enough franchises up and running but you can only benefit from having more this day and age But so also you're talking about is... you,
4: you don't have this great connection with The Matrix but let's be honest the original Matrix came out a long time ago yeah. what is it like 25, 30 years ago now and and, um, is it 25 years? 25, like, years years? I feel like you're, you're the Matrix. Yeah, making it, is it 20, even older 20 than 20 it is. 2025? No, it was all I fields when, you, when that movie was out. Two seconds. The first, first I mean, Matrix yeah. movie
3: came out in 1999. Okay, so that was, was 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. Right?
4: This was all fields back in the day. I was like,
5: 30 years? I remember the
4: beginning of the motor car.
5: I went
2: to the premiere on a horseless carriage.
4: But, you know, that was that first movie, and then there were two other movies that still did well, but they really weren't the same, and they didn't have the affinity so really you know that it's been a really it's been a while since we had mm-hmm. the original matrix movie so you don't have that close affinity where we see some things being rebooted within 10 years you've got a 20 years it's a new generation that's going to embrace so this.
3: what gives you more faith in this continuation slash maybe reboot is an applicable term in a sense then you know Let's say the return of, I don't know, I'm just saying random names at this point, but like Terminator or Men in Black or Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels is an example that also had a very big gap.
5: But Terminator kept failing. I mean, you say Terminator, yeah, exactly. but That's I why, why I went like, the
3: Charlie's Angels route eventually, because Terminator, Genesis was like yesterday.
5: I was going to... So we've had a few Terminator movies fail out, and that's also another reason where it's like, okay, what other properties are going on? Oh, The Matrix. I mean, The Matrix was a huge hit. It was a sensation. So that's yeah. the whole thing. And people have been asking for more Matrix, uh, Matrix movies for a while. So it's like... I think that's the safer bet at this point. We we knew this was coming. Let's also say that.
3: People wanting more Matrix movies, going back to one of your birds of prey comments, is that, you know, the hardcore fandom contingent? Is that also the money making butts and seats group?
5: I think The Matrix as a franchise pushed a lot of boundaries at the time it was released. It was this techie-based filmmaking and storytelling that wasn't really happening a lot like that. So I think you re- you bring The Matrix back to kind of do that again. You see where The Matrix can now go mm-hmm. and see if you can redefine the genre space yet again in the sci-fi world. Do
4: you know, I think that your, your comment about, you know, is it that hardcore base that's going to fuel this? I think that's going to be the front end and I think there's going to be a huge element of that. But let's not forget a lot of people who are going to be really engaging in this. When The Matrix came out the internet it was just beginning it was really something that was quite fantastical like you know flying cars and jetpacks it really wasn't something that people had as part of their daily life in the way that we have it now so you have a whole generation that is completely used to this cyber age being just the day-to-day life so you have to take the time to be able to do something and come up with something creative that is realistic within how we know sort of the whole world of digital stuff and you know and, and computers full stop in a completely different way in a realistic way in a way that people are gonna care about You know, I think that's the thing.
3: Yeah, I think uh, especially like the gap and what the Matrix taps into and Mm. what, you know, technology now affords them in real life and both as far as filmmaking goes too. I think that really gives this thing the opportunity to grow as a story and that's that's the reason you get more people to get back into it you can't just appeal to the people who are already matrix fans you got to bring in new fans too and this franchise in particular compared to other franchises i think is in prime position to do just that
5: yeah also shout out to some of the video games that came out of the matrix i swear to god i played one of those xbox matrix games like for three years it was like one of my favorites so i hope they bring more video games they're just as good as the matrix trilogy you
3: never know you gotta corner every market now don't you (laughs) all right before we get into our last story which is all about the conjuring 3 which is now being called the conjuring the devil made me do it if you want to know what that title is all about we are going to tell you about it in a minute but first here's a promo for heroes
4: Hi, I'm Coy Jandro, host of Collider Heroes, and I'm here to tell you we've got 20-minute episodes coming at you on Collider Video, on the YouTube, as you've always loved it. Plus, now we've got
5: hour-long podcast dropping every Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast because it's going to get even more sweaty on the podcast. Plus, every week we're going to try to get some very special guest interviews, all of the people that help shape these movies and TV shows you love. So, video,
4: podcast, interviews all coming at you. Be sure to subscribe. Thanks so much, guys. Stay sweaty.
3: And just another reminder, this episode is brought to you by Heroes and Villains. Heroesvillains.com. Use the promo code TALK10 at checkout for 10% off. Cool stuff like this. All right. Who's ready to talk The Conjuring?
5: I think I might. I I might be.
3: I was so excited about this. So... (laughs) First, I'm just going to give you guys a little uh, a little play-by-play as far as how my feelings about this title went. So I get that uh, the alert in my inbox, uh, "Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do," and I'm like, I no, no, it's not not really working for me. That's a mouthful. Why don't you just call it the Conjuring Three? Then I really thought about it, and I started to remember what the case was. And when I connected the title to the actual case, that is such a rich idea for another conjuring story. I absolutely love it, Matt. You want to give us the basics?
5: Yeah, sure. I mean, number one, really quickly, I love the title. I mean, I know it's a mouthful, but it's just like so mean. It you just to comes sit with off it for a minute. I, I mean, I just read it, and I was like, "This is so nasty and just malicious." I love that kind of title. But yes, yeah, so as you were saying. The Conjuring stuff is obviously based on the Warrens. It's real life people and the cases they went on. So this, the devil made me do that case. I'm going to read really quickly. But the uh, case is based on Arne Cheyenne Johnson, who in the early 80s was charged with manslaughter after killing his landlord, Alan Bono. Arne alleged that a demon was in possession of his body at the time of the murders. And after mo- uh, the demon itself moved from an 11-year-old boy, David Glatzel. And that's where it came from. So you have a man who committed manslaughter in the name of a demon that came from a small boy and the warrens come into play because they investigated the glatzel case at uh, an earlier point so then all of a sudden you have a demon now that's been in two people so they come back into the fold and that's how you have the devil made me do it
3: yeah is it pronounced arn or arnie
5: I mean R and R I didn't.
3: I, I was. I was just wondering that as you were saying it, but um, I'm,
5: I apologize if I now I pronounced that wrong, but
3: the, the, one of the interesting things about this case, though, is the fact that I think it was one of the first case cases in U.S. history that ever had the uh, the defendant tried to uh, claim that you know. They were possessed, and that's the reason why the crime was committed. And I think, you know, all right, brief spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't want to know the end of the real story that's available on Wikipedia. I'm giving you a second now. Now your second's over. Um, so this individual was convicted of committing first-degree manslaughter, and uh, he wound up serving five years of a 10 to 20-year sentence. But, I mean, that whole process is fascinating to me. And the fa- I don't know how far this story is going to go, and I kind of hope that they go to the very end all through the trial, because that would make it stand out from a story perspective big time from the first two films. What if, you know, usually we get the big exorcism at the end of the movie, what if if the exorcisms they tried to do on young david happen in the first half and you know i don't want to suck the life out of the movie and say oh like the last half is a courtroom drama but there could be some really interesting things to tap into there that we don't usually see in a horror movie
5: i mean you have true crime which is all the rage right now with podcasts and what that not and put that with horror and now you have two things that like bridge the demographic and you now have a wider audience for your horror film so i think i think it's a great method
3: like the the idea of this creating like a disturbing craze where anybody out there could say the devil made me do it that adds to your comment about how freaky that title could be yeah, and I, I mean,
4: I, I'll be—I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of in. I love the idea behind the movie. I think the original story is 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 great. The original case is fascinating, and I think you're right. You can do a lot with it. No one's going to call it The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. Everyone's going to call it The Conjuring Three. When they're buying tickets at the movie theater, when they're talking to their friends, everyone's going to call it The Conjuring Three. So I think they should have three in the title. I do like the idea of The Devil Made Me Do It. But I just wonder how that's going to play with audiences. And I wonder if that's going to change.
3: See, I've always had a very soft spot for the original title. So yeah. when I when I visited the set of the very first Conjuring movie back in, what was it, I guess, 2011 or 2012, I mm. believe, it was called The Warren Files. That, yeah. to me, not only could have served the regular Conjuring movie series very yeah. well, but also the entire Conjuring universe where it's like The Warren Files, The Nun, or something like that. I mean, that right there is... Is my organization brain kicking in but there was something about the warren files that i always really took to as a title well,
5: here's a funny thought about the conjuring uh, not calling it the conjuring three the conjuring one and two was james wan this the conjuring the third one is not james wan it's michael chaves who directed the curse of la llorona
1: and
3: right there is why i think i was so sensitive to it
5: exactly first viewing. take away the number because yeah. now all of a sudden you don't associate it with james wan's one and two you now associate it as his own film Almost like a spin-off, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Which, I
3: can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing, I was no. about to say the
5: exact I, same thing. I'm going to say this just as me. I did not like The Curse of La Llorona, and the director alone scares me on this.
3: I am not the biggest fan of The Curse of La Llorona, but I don't think the problems with that movie come from Michael Chaves. I think the glaring weak spot to me in that movie was the script. I thought his visuals were stunning. And, you know, you look at Linda Cardellini's performance, he mm. knows how to direct actors. I can definitely point like a big fat finger at that script saying that's what kind of pulled the overall production down for me, at least.
4: And, you know, obviously you're talking about and you, you agreed on this, the whole thing about taking the number out. I, I do think that can be a blessing and a curse. Obviously, curses are very popular in the movie. So that's, that's on ha, brand. Ha,
3: so ah. Uh, Don't worry,
4: I've got plenty more where this comes from. I'll apologise in advance. But I think also the fact is, when you start losing the numbers and you start losing that association, you start to get into the movies that start to feel like uh, American Pie Presents... (laughs) or, you know, an Eli Roth production or something, and there's the association, but the quality is not necessarily there. And I think sometimes people who like that number, they like the sequencing, they want to have that collection, you know, they're completists. I think it's detrimental. But, I mean... We'll see, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we, we see titles change all the time in the industry. So
3: with what we were tapping into earlier, with this not feeling like a James Wan movie by yeah. not calling it The Conjuring 3, what do you think that could mean for the amount of screen time that the Warrens get? Are we going to see a movie that is, you know, firmly from the Warrens' perspective? Or could this be a situation where maybe they lean a little more heavily into, you know, the Glatzel family and that side of it?
5: I mean, you step away from the Warrens in all the other spinoffs. That's yeah. the thing, like, you know, Annabelle comes home, even though it being set in their house, they're still gone a large amount of time. So in that in that thinking, they have to be a larger part because also Patrick Wilson and Vera are just, They're the lifeblood of this franchise in the Conjuring films themselves, Conjuring 1 and 2. You don't have another Conjuring film without them being the main characters. And uh, Annabelle Come Home is,
4: is a really good choice. And obviously that was not a Conjuring movie, it's within the universe. What happens, I think, is when you take the Warrens out, there's a lot of room to fill. Yeah and we saw this essentially with elements even in The Conjuring uh, 2, where you then have a lot of space to fill in these movies, and I think that brings down the quality of these things. So it also depends, to be honest with you, on on what deals um, Patrick and Farmer and did, You know, to be honest with you. If they said, we'll, we'll be in it for X amount of money because of the money that you're paying us, that's great. We could see them stepping away from it full-time in the future. I mean, I can't see Patrick Wilson wanting to do these movies for... Another 10 I don't
5: years. know though. That said, he seems to relish these genre roles. I mean, even look at him and in, in the Tall Grass, and he loves doing horror. He I mean, is so I don't think good
3: in that. I'm not worried
5: about them walking away due to monetary uh, restrictions and stuff of that nature. I, I think they love these characters, but again, it's more how much do you use them. And if you're doing a Conjuring movie, again, if you're not doing a spinoff, you use the Warrens. They are your they are ace up your sleeve. That's it. I want to see uh, the Conjuring uh, Warrens Christmas Vacation. I want to see that. This has nothing to do with horror. It just goes on
4: like
1: just, a road trip. Yeah. Just like yeah. I mean, Christmas they, is terrifying.
3: You
4: know, ah!
3: that's, that's kind of I like mean, the idea of you know what do the Avengers do on a day off? I actually, really, if they ever would dare to do something like that, I wouldn't mind just seeing what Ed and Lorraine Warren do in their free time when they're not dealing with a demonic presence.
5: Well, I always joke like they should do a 28 months later and just have a romantic comedy. The apocalypse is over. Nothing, <laughs> nothing scary at all. Just completely yeah. ape off of it and I go also crazy. I think
3: the future of the Conjuring. Franchise or the Conjuring proper should be a passing of the baton from Ed and Lorraine to McKenna Grace as uh, Judy Warren, and you should run with that. Alone. that now we'll she's a little
5: Ghostbuster, though she doesn't need the Conjuring
3: I, universe. That would be I, a I conflict I guess of she, interest. A different yeah. form of ghost <laughs> yeah,
5: exactly <laughs> as well,
4: you'd ruin your own business. But also, to be honest with you, going back to the Christmas movie, I mean, you talk about that. I mean, what better time of year is there for presents than at Christmas? Presence. Oh, I get man. it.
3: I get it. You know, it's I didn't just say so the drinks were good. And I said there were
5: more of them. How are you just... punning this early? Like I my brain is just know. trying to put together information. I not have anything else in my like, life.
4: Actually, this is all my job. Like
3: when completely dead, I didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> it,
4: it literally I took think me you a minute knew how to respond. But because this is a family show, Maybe. you can't respond like that. All
3: right, let's get into some of these live chat questions here. Uh, let's kick it off with uh, a question from Zeno Hour, who wants to know who is having a better breakout year, Florence Pugh. Or Yaya Abdul Mateen. Ooh, that's a, that's a a good question. A good question because it's a tough one to answer. I think just because my brain is more movie centric, I have to go with Florence because, I, like, she could be on the path to getting an Academy Award nomination. Yeah,
5: I, I think that's going to tell. That's going to be the telltale where Florence's uh, awards run ends. But man, I love Florence and a lot of stuff. But I, I do. Um, Yaya has so many good roles too. I mean, again, even something like Aquaman, you killed that. I mean, I don't know. I was not a big
4: fan of him in Aquaman. No, right. uh, but I'll be honest with you. Anyway, by the way, uh, good, to, good to have you involved. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Florence Pugh. And I don't think she needs an award. In fact, I think an award at this stage in her career would be something of an anchor for her. Because once you've won that award, it follows you around and it okay. kind of dates... When you really landed.
3: Do you think the same thing would happen if she just got the nomination and not the win?
4: I think if she got the nomination, it's fine because that really that marks quality. I think when you win, it is kind of like an anchor, and you go, "It's been ten years since you won an Oscar or ten years since you won a Golden Globe." But to be honest with you, she is the master of the puniverse, and I see this only expanding. I didn't say I would stop. I can't help it.
3: Seriously, though, hashtag puniverse. I know, right? I feel like that could catch on. I've been saving that for
4: months. Can we, I feel can like we it's make, a
5: hashtag already. It
4: is now. Like I, yeah. It's so good Seriously. that
5: I just assume it's a hashtag. Well, no,
4: it's not. I've checked.
5: I've checked. I, but
4: literally, <laughs> I've, been for, that I've been waiting for weeks to drop that one. So thank you for having me on today. I've been course. waiting for. A I have no one to talk to.
3: Admittedly, I'm happy to have that one in my life right now. So I'm, I'm glad we had you I'm on the show. Made up no
4: one, on right? Twitter. <laughs> that, that's my presence to the show. Oh. Is
3: there an eject
5: end. button? Can I just hit something here that
3: just gets you off? <laughs> All right. Before you eject, let's go to a question from Rick Samoris, who's asking: Since the Terminator franchise is dead, how will you solve the universal constant problem and try uh, to give it a satisfying ending? Is that just over and done with? Like, we'll never get another satisfying installment of the Terminator? terminator
5: Uh, how do you at this point you've tried so many different times that you've beaten a dead robot into the ground tv
3: series go back to that route a different format that's
5: mine you don't hate that robot that's mine i yeah I, i i don't see how you get out of it anymore you've tried you've tried over and over people don't care hollywood stop it
4: Seriously. No, I think the only way that you can do this, don't waste your time and your money trying to put it on the big screen. Make it a regular limited series. Do it as event TV. Do it like every other year. Do a three piece mini series. Put it on a Netflix. Put it on a something else. Turn it into a Star Wars type thing where you only do this limited story. I I just, I think as Terminator as it is, and all due respect to Arnie and Linda, who I absolutely love to see coming back. It's just, there's the, we like the memory of them rather than we will actually pay to put butts in seats. It's just not a draw. And I'll be honest with you, Terminator movies, when they first came out, they delivered something that there was nothing else really like that in the market. They really paved a completely new way. And now we've got things like superhero movies and we've got action movies like Fast and Furious which in different ways deliver what we got from the Terminator movies. And I would say just take it to TV, take it to streaming, do it as limited series, do like one every other year. It will cost less, and I think you can still have the effect, and I think you can do different things with the character. I think audiences give more of a damn about than just fighty-fighty robots.
3: Well, Space. I mean, think about what Watchmen is accomplishing right now. I feel like, Great you example. know, yeah. if they can Great if they example. can get quality anywhere near what I hear that show is at at this point, then do it from Cyberdyne.
5: Do it from a Cyberdyne point of view. But again, do people care? That uh, the issue is I don't know, we're still so far away. Yeah.
3: You got to make Well, at this point you got to make them care. And I think you're going to make them care you with like with overall to. quality. And I'm a fan of Dark Fate. I thought that was a good movie, but I also think that the problem with that one was the fact that it just hit box office at a crappy time. It's like nothing did well in a three-week span. And it's it's not even just like nothing did well. Everything crashed and burned for one week after the next end of October, beginning of November. But
4: I think, and I've said this before on on, on other shows and and things like that, I think the thing is the audience is being a lot more selective, and especially in the world of streaming. And when you have got good things like... Uh, Watchmen And they're on t- You know they're at home And they're watching on TV They are picking Where they
5: spend their 15 bucks And what they leave
4: well, the you house. you can't it for. just be
3: A good thing anymore You have you to be, be A really great thing Or you're thing. gonna get cut off And again yeah. I
5: still don't get Why Dark Fate opened On Christmas, uh, Christmas. Uh, and, Wow uh, sorry Halloween. Halloween I know oh, yeah. I don't either um, I was it, I spent my Halloween Cause I missed the press screening In a theater That was maybe 20% full
3: Why didn't they flip flop with, uh, with Doctor exactly. Sleep Ex-
5: Yeah exactly Doctor Sleep comes A week after Halloween Dark Dark Fate comes on Halloween. None of it made sense. Absolutely none of that made sense.
3: I don't know how much flip-flopping those dates would have helped in the end, but any little bit, I think, would have benefited both studios.
4: I think if they'd have flipped uh, Doctor Sleep before Halloween, I think they could have easily added 10 to 20 on that opening weekend. Very easily because there was mm. nothing out there.
5: It's so weird that like the general public just turns horror off after October. Yeah. Like, it is true. I mean, it does happen. Damn but strange. October, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, well, I can watch my scary movies right now." Je- again, general public. I know Perry's looking know at me live, like, we, well, "That's my life." What I'm are you talking well about? i very well aware
3: of yeah. like the bubble within right. the bubble that we live in.
5: Exactly, but I mean, outside that bubble, agreed. That could have added even another ten or twenty million.
3: Speaking uh, of that bubble, do you want to plug a certain movie on Shutter that everybody should watch if they didn't watch Witching Hour?
5: You mean Deadly Games?
3: I do. <laughs> you mean I Deadly it's, I can't stop thinking about it. It's
5: so good. It's I've been delivery. writing about it today, and it's been. I've had. Do you want me to like actually do a quick plug? Or yeah, like what no, do you seriously. Because yeah, I, so, I think,
3: really, if anybody out there is looking for holiday horror to watch and they have a Shutter account.
5: Right. You should go watch great. Perry and myself on the latest episode of Witching Hour, where we talked about Christmas horror for like 30, 40 minutes. So it was just a dream. But um, yes, if you have a Shutter account, they have saved a movie from the 80s that has never been released in the United States at to this point called Deadly Games. And what it is is basically really quickly Home Alone meets Rambo, except your Rambo character is a small child defending his gigantic mansion filled with toys against a psycho mall Santa who's been fired for hitting a child. That's all I'm going to
4: say. Are you
3: sold?
5: I am, but it's, it's one of the movies that you actually
4: mentioned the other day when he was on Meet the Movie Press uh, yes, last that Friday, well. and gave a whole list of, of movies, but Spread has anybody the heard of uh, Games
3: joy everywhere? I, it's, I, yeah. Seriously,
5: that is on my watch list. presents everywhere. We're talking
4: about streaming, Anna and the Apocalypse, if you haven't uh, seen yeah, that, you've yeah. heard Anna of this Apocalypse movie, right? Tip. You've heard about I, this movie. I'm quoted on the poster, Simon. <laughs> I only Simon. first
3: watched it recently, because I missed it the it's year it on it came Hulu. Out. Yeah. I think
4: it's on Amazon as well, and it's seriously, it is. It's on
3: Airplanes too, which is where I watched it? Yeah, it is. And we were talking about it, it's an Awkward movie to watch in the airplane because it's, it's not, not like awkward. Well, they don't cut out the gory stuff, and what if like a tiny child was behind me? But it's
5: Christmas and it's a musical. And they so saw like a
3: snowman with like a bloody zombie face that no, could, like messed up. I got it a real a quick up.
5: introduction into life's problems. All right, yeah.
3: all right. I don't really feel that guilty, especially because I loved it. All right, <laughs> it's a let's uh, so see good. if we can get another question. Horror
5: Scottish in. zombie musical.
3: Okay, right. so forward. briefly to talk about this one, MK Songbird is asking if we had any reaction to the Red Band trailer for the grudge um how are you guys feeling about the grudge thus far i am keeping my fingers so so crossed and i really do think the first weekend of a new year could be a good time to open a horror movie
5: But then again, you think of other horror movies that have opened in that same slot, like Winchester and things of that nature. Escape
3: Room. Escape Room had the opening weekend, I believe, or the second weekend of 2019. And not only did Escape Room do well and wind up justifying the, uh, the green light for a sequel, but Escape Room is a very, very good movie. Yes. Easily one of the best horror movies we've seen all year, and
4: also the Insidious movie. No, the last I insidious it. Movie I came believe out. it. I we think it's la- very sorry. well done. Was it <laughs> the insidious? Key? Insidious? was Insidious. He Insidious. Oh yeah, the, the last, last he key? did. Last yes. key. Yeah, yeah, That came out yep. in January. That was pushed from sort of around the Halloween time. And also, let's not forget. I mean, th- you know, The Grudge is something that a lot of people are aware of as a, as a horror brand, and you know, whether it's good or not, kind of is irrelevant. People will be they'll have done with the movies that are around at that time, and it has Lynn Shay in it, and Lynn Shay is one of those actors that you're like, I know her. She's from that thing. Even if you don't know her name and people will go and see a movie because she's in it because she's an amazing
3: creepy old lady she Delightful. is just she's also her. wonderful like I know that quite well. woman yeah. just like yeah. radiates positivity yeah. and warmth and i could talk to her all day but if you haven't seen that red band trailer do check it out because it formats it in one of my favorite ways to format a trailer where you know you always wind up with the quick cutting action montage or in this yep. case the scare montage but the very beginning of it i think the whole first half mm. of the trailer plays out as one long creepy scene that highlights how creepy lynn shay can be do you
4: want a fun Lin- Shafak? You know she was in there Something About Mary and she played yeah, this old yeah. lady with the leathery skin with the saggy boobs and stuff. She has that prosthetic in her house.
3: <laughs> what? What's that? Mag, Magdalinda? Mag, yeah. Mag- Mag- <laughs> Is that her name yeah. in the movie? It's something, something like that.
4: Magna, Magna...
5: Magna.
3: Like I, I think I just, like, combined four names. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Staying, staying with yeah. The
5: Grudge really quickly, though. Cool. What I'm most excited about is Nicholas Pesce being the director. And, you know, he's shown so much range between Piercing and The Eyes of My Mother, doing these a uh, black and white film that's, like, crazy artistic, and then going to Piercing, which is just a giallo, and even uses some of the soundtracks from old giallos. And then to have him take on The Grudge, I'm really excited to see his uh, kind of haunted take. He hasn't done a real ghost story yet, but... I don't like how the studio isn't being as vocal about this movie. I don't like how the studio pushed it. I don't like what the studio is doing to it. And that makes me a little nervous. Well,
3: But do you think at this point, you know, I don't know. It's like I wonder how you go about marketing a weekend one release because we've been discussing it around the office, too. I mean, once Star Wars comes and goes, it's kind of radio silence in this industry. I mean, let's let's say after the 20th, no one's really talking about anything except for end of year and in this the yeah. case of this year, end of decade list, if it's you, not really prime time to promote a new movie coming out after the holidays. And that window is so, and you're so saying small. exactly for them.
5: why I'm nervous because that's why you put but a movie there. I don't think there. that's
3: necessarily, uh, you know, blame you could put on the studio. I think they're just buying into the idea that that could be a prime release spot for a horror movie, whereas it's not a sign that they're not promoting it enough. F- I think they're just going to go super hard come, uh, New Year's Day.
5: See, I see it more as they're just filling a spot. They're putting something where, just like you said, everyone goes quiet. I'm like, oh, there's nothing to watch after Star Wars. But there are options out there. So it's oh, like, let me put my movie there. So hopefully that becomes the, weekend, the option everyone goes weekend
3: to. Weekend 1 isn't a dead zone. It's like if, let's say, they had scheduled The Grudge for, I don't know, mid to late August, I'd be like, uh-oh, like you guys are not caring about this movie at all. But for some reason, I think that that spot has proven to be very lucrative. And I think it's a smart move for them to have it there. I, I
5: very much hope you're right. I'm okay. not coming me, you I'm know my, my love of crossed. horror and you know what I want horror to, to be so and yes, you know
3: lo- my love of positivity and helpfulness exactly right. so we're on I this love how we're big arguing time right just now. like the same <laughs> thing
5: but at the same time Harry's like no I'm more positive <laughs>
3: well, and you know that my probably.
5: jokes are terrible
3: I was gonna Not we- yeah. I was waiting for you Not to a chime single pun in. In there. Where's your grudge pun
5: dude <laughs> I don't have one
4: which is a shame. I'm trying to think of one. I mean, I'm just not coming up with anything. You've nope, got some nope. homework to do before nope.
3: we have you back on. I, I know,
4: right? Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> oh! I will. i become fully loaded. I believe with in you. Terrible puns.
3: I believe That's in what I you. Do. All right, we do have to say goodbye, Simon, Matt. Thank you so much for spending Pleasure. your morning thank with you. me. Big thanks to Adam in the booth. Also, that in the live chat. You guys rock. I really appreciate your help. You guys know exactly where to go after you leave Collider Movie Talk. Of course, you don't click out of this video without liking and sharing it because that would be greatly appreciated. But then you go on on over to uh, Collider Live. They've got a great show planned. And then guess what? We are right back here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. PT, for a brand new movie talk.
2: There's an underdog story happening today in America.
0: Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for
5: everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at
2: smallunites.org.